Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm going to, we're going to start by having Dan come and read the scripture for us. We are, we're over the halfway mark now of working through Mark's gospel. And uh, welcome to those who aren't with us this morning, watching on the podcast or from another church even, or, um, or just online. So Dan, if you can read for us, that'd be great. Okay, so I'm reading from Mark chapter 9, starting at verse 1. Jesus went on to say, I tell you the truth. Some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God arrive in great power. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James and John and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Rabbi, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He said this because he couldn't, didn't really know what else to say, for they were all terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus with them. As they went back down the mountain, he told them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept it to themselves, but they often, often asked each other what he meant by rising from the dead. When they asked him, why do the teachers of the religious law insist that Elijah must return before the Messiah comes? Jesus responded, Elijah is indeed coming first to get everything ready. Yet why do the scriptures say that the Son of Man must suffer greatly and be treated with utter contempt? But I tell you, Elijah has already come and they chose to abuse him just as the scriptures predicted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alrighty. So uh, if you weren't here last Sunday or, or are not uh, uh, familiar with where we're at um, in our walk through the Gospel of Mark, uh, we are in the middle, the very middle. This, it's a transition section, if you like, of Mark's Gospel where uh, I don't have the, the chart here with me that has the big diagram all the way through Mark, but basically we started where the first half is around the exploration of who Jesus is and we're transitioning to the latter half of the Gospel of Mark, which is about how he becomes king. And in this middle bit, there is what seems to be a bit of a paradox. There has been a realisation by his followers that Jesus is the Messiah. He's God's chosen one. He's their saviour. And then there's also the beginning of a realisation that he's going to suffer and die, which they'll discover is the way to his exaltation, but they can't grapple with these two things together. He's the Messiah, he's their saviour, and he's going to die, and he's going to suffer at the hands of our enemies. How does that match up? And so there's this really key conversation that we read last week where that happens where Peter, one of Jesus' key followers, he gets it. He says, you're the Messiah. And uh, then he also doesn't get it because his idea of the kind of Messiah that Jesus needs to be for them is wrong. Uh, then 
So that happened with the Passive Beach Board last week. And then uh, on the back of that conversation, we have what we just read. It's a very famous passage, the Transfiguration, it's often called. It's an incredible scene that alludes to uh, scenes from the Old Testament with God's glory on Mount Sinai. Uh, there's Moses and Elijah, who were people who experienced the glory of God. And uh, as I said, called the Transfiguration. My hope today, um, and by the way, I apologize for my bit of a croaky voice this morning. Uh, it is the season. Uh, but my hope today is that whether you're a visionary, future-motivated type of person, or whether you're someone who just loves to live in the moment, day by day, take things as they come, my prayer this morning is that we would all be open to the very specific vision that God has for us, the destiny God has planned out for us. Uh, because what this passage does, believe it or not, is it shows us what God ultimately is leading us towards. It shows us the vision. It, it might not be quite what we expect, but it, it, this is what it shows us. And I really pray that we'll be open to that today. I want to say that today I want to dig into some stuff that's kind of deep, some stuff that's easier not to think about, some stuff that's not particularly comfortable or feel good or anything like that. Um, but I promise that when, when we go a little deeper like this and grapple with some of the hard stuff of Jesus' message, that on the, on the other side of that and in, in the message today is really good news. Better news than if we just kind of tried to find something that makes us feel good in this. Really good news and, and cause for really great joy. And so what I'm asking is today in particular for the next 25 minutes, and I did the calculation, that is one four hundredth of your next week. The next 25 minutes, only one four hundredth. Um, I, I really ask, um, and this is my commitment as well, that we would listen and engage, and and most of all, just be open to what what does the Holy Spirit have to say and sh- to us and show us this morning. So is that okay? Can we do that? Awesome. Uh, let's pray, and uh, we will we'll get into it. God, I just want to thank you for your word this morning, this living, active, uh, significant and, and, and life-transforming message that we find uh, of good news in the inspired word of God that we have readily available and accessible to, to, to us this morning. Words that are, are sharp and able to, to cut through the stuff that is getting in the way of seeing you in our lives. Lord, I pray that the transformative power of your word this morning would be something that we, we let in and that we let move us and transform us and show us and convict us, but also comfort us, reassure us, and inspire us about this beautiful and perfect relationship with you that is offered to us. I ask, Lord, that in this next one four hundredth of our next week, in these next 25 minutes, Lord, that you would... Open our hearts to you, the Lord Jesus Christ, present here with us this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, this chapter, chapter 9, and it's, we're halfway, there's 16 chapters in Mark's Gospel. Uh, the very first verse, it seems to be in the wrong place. It, it, uh, we'll put it up on the screen now, actually, if that's all right. Um, this, this verse number 1 it, 
after that starts the story of the transfiguration. And it's almost as if this verse should be the end, the last verse of, of, chapter, 20, of chapter 8 that we read last week. But there's a very specific reason that Mark has it here. It says, Jesus went on to say, I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God arrive in great power. Now, it could, it could well, and it probably does mean a range of things about, about what it is going to look like for the, the, these disciples uh, to see the kingdom of God, because there's a lot that's still to happen in the life of Jesus and beyond that as well. But right here, the purpose that Mark has in putting it here is that it's alluding to what's about to happen. He says, Jesus says in this verse, you will see the kingdom of God arrive in great power. And then these three disciples with Jesus, these closest ones to him, Peter, James, John, they see a glimpse of the kingdom of God at the transfiguration. This is what's happening. First of all, let's talk about what is meant by the kingdom of God. We use this term all the time, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. In Matthew's gospel, one of the other writers accounting of, writing about Jesus' life calls it the kingdom of heaven, means the same thing. So does that mean that the kingdom of God slash heaven is referring to the place where people go when they die? No, because we know that Jesus has said the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. It is now, it is already but it is also clearly about that next life and that eternity and what God is going to do, uh, that he's fully, one day, fully establishing the kingdom of God on earth. And so it's the already, but not yet, kingdom rule of God. Um, when we use the word kingdom, uh, we also aren't talking about a literal geographical place. Now, a kingdom can be that, because a kingdom is where, literally, where a king, a monarch, has their rule, has their reign. And so that can be a geographical place like the United Kingdom uh, or something like that, but it can also exist beyond geography and that's what we're talking about when we talk, especially now when we're talking about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Now, I, I would argue that as Christians, our want, our desire, what we long for is this kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. In fact, even if you, you talk to an, the ordinary person in the street who doesn't identify as a follower of Jesus, it, they would speak of heaven as something not negative, but good. Uh, you know, heaven is almost synonymous with something that is that, with perfection. Heaven is desirable. It's, it's, it's wonderful. And the ways that the Bible describes God's kingdom is that. It is absolute perfection. If you look at the imagery in, in the book of Revelation, it's, it's perfection and, and a wonderful reality by anyone's standards. No pain, no sorrow, no death, complete joy, complete peace, prosperity. It's awesome. Yeah, we agree on that? Heaven is good. The kingdom of God is good. What Mark is saying is that this event, the transfiguration, and we're not going to go and read it and study it very heavily today, but it's, it's Jesus, you know, dazzling white, glorious, the glory of God coming through him. This event gives us a picture of what we're actually yearning for when we talk about heaven or when we talk about the kingdom of God. This is a glimpse of the kingdom. This transfiguration is a projection of the desire that is inbuilt in us as human beings. We desire heaven on earth. We want the kingdom of God. So what is it? In short, it's Jesus glorified. The fruit of it, the benefits of, 
of the kingdom, the, the privilege of being one of its citizens, that is that there's no more pain and there's no more death and there's complete joy and there's peace. It's wonderful. But what actually defines the kingdom of God? Not what is in it or what is it, how does it play out. What actually defines it? It's Jesus exalted, glorified, and Lord of all. Now, I understand that that sounds like just a very Christian thing to say. Oh, yes, that's what heaven is. Jesus is... Jesus is Lord of all. And, and there doesn't sound to be anything particularly profound about that. But I, I really, in reading this this week, I've really been challenged to go, you know what, we need to stop for a minute and think. What does that actually mean? If this is the kingdom of heaven, if this is the kingdom of God, that Jesus is, is Lord, what does that actually mean for us? The vision, I'm sort of, I've sort of said this, but I'm going to say it again. The vision of a Christian, the goal, the desire, the destination is the kingdom of God. This is what we know we're yearning for, longing for. We also want it now. We pray, God, your kingdom come. That means both now, here on earth, and in the future. And I wish I had more time to unpack biblical eschatology to get away from this. We're going to go to heaven one day. That is not what the Bible teaches. Heaven is coming to earth. God is going to fully establish the kingdom here on this earth, renew this earth, and do away with hell, which also currently exists here. What we want, though, is, is both now and in eternity, the kingdom of heaven to come. We want heaven. We want the kingdom of God. That is our vision even as a church. We say it in a particular way, but when we kind of reframed what is the vision, trans- the transformation of communities, that's just a way of saying God's kingdom coming in Canningvale and beyond in our communities. That's how the transformation will happen. God's presence, his kingdom here. But, and I'd go so far as to say, again, that everyone wants this. Everybody wants perfection. Everybody wants Heaven, everybody, no, who, who doesn't want a reality where there's no bad and it's all good? Do you know anyone like that? Everybody wants a, a, a wonderful, perfect world to live in. That's just the average person. But the average person wants to create it for themselves. The common thinking in our culture, for all of us, the way we just naturally think is we want heaven, we want joy, we want happiness, we want peace, so we'd better try and make it happen. It's our responsibility. Here's why the transfiguration as a glimpse of heaven, of the kingdom of God, is so very, very, very significant. The very definition of heaven is that everything is under the authority of Jesus, not us. Jesus. The countercultural, paradoxical, otherworldly, mindset readjusting message of the gospel is that all that the human heart wants does not come from living the way the human heart wants. That sounds like a, a, like a paradox, and it kind of is. All that the human heart wants does not come from living for that ourselves, it comes from laying that down and saying, not my will, but yours be done, Lord Jesus. The kingdom of God is Jesus' kingship. It's him in charge. It's him, Lord, and glorified. It's not the fruit of being around him. The kingdom of God is not defined by the stuff we experience in it. It is Jesus exalted, glorified, in control, Lord of all. So take a moment and think about this for a second. Think about your hopes 
for a better world. Or if you're a Christian, and you might define that as your hopes for the kingdom of God come on this earth. Just, let's just start with our, the communities around us. If I was to go, what do I really desire? If we, God, if, if you just answered, your kingdom come today, now, here in this place, in our communities, what would that look like? I think of a myriad of things that I can imagine and that we, I long for in our community. Maybe it's broken, I would start with this, broken families restored, homelessness eradicated, no more loneliness, no crime because everyone lives with a generous, selfless, loving attitude towards one another, a transformation of our communities that comes from transformation of the heart so that generations are affected and peace and prosperity and goodness and love fills our community. So that's what I think of. When you think of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God on earth, in our communities, you may think of some other things uh, on, on your mind. There might, it might be fun and food. It might be incredible harmony across cultures. No more racism. It might be no lack of anything for anyone. It might be no, no more fatherlessness. And all of that is, is really important. All of that is the kingdom, the fruit of the kingdom coming on earth. It's God-given. It's God-inspired vision and desire that drives us and motivates us. This is what we're here to be a part of in God's work. But I, I really am starting to be convinced that we have to frame, reframe our thinking about God's kingdom coming from this thinking where we say, we've got to make this happen. We, this is what it looks like, so how do we make that happen? I think we've got to reframe our thinking towards how do we let God do his thing? How do we let God be God? Right now, in my life, in our lives. What if only one thing was required of us? What if it was just this one thing? Jesus, do what you, you want. What if the only thing was required was, Jesus, what, what do you want of me right now? You be in charge. You call the shots. Because the kingdom of God exists when Jesus is in charge. And that means it doesn't exist, or the opposite of the kingdom of God is when we're in charge. What if that's just the, that's the kingdom? Jesus, front and center. You with me? Look back a few verses, and you don't have to go through your Bibles, it'll be on the screen. Uh, end of chapter 8, Jesus has just said to that to follow him, one must take up their cross. They must give up their own way. This is what we talked about last week. Um, this is kind of part two of a two-part sermon over two weeks, I guess. Then he says this towards the end of chapter 8. He says, anyone ashamed of me in my message, in these adulterous and sinful days, uh, he says, I'll be ashamed of them when I'm, and I'm paraphrasing now, exalted and made king of all things. When he's exalted, that's what the, that last bit means. Uh, that's basically saying, who do you want to be in charge? Do you want it to be you or do you want it to be me? Because it's, it's totally our choice. It's, it's up to us as to who's in charge, but we can't pick or choose. Now, I have a question for you. Have you ever met a glory supporter? Now, when I first heard that term, I thought it meant someone who supported Perth Glory in the soccer, and then, um, uh, yeah, silly. Um, a glory supporter, if you don't know, means somebody who switches the sporting team or whatever kind of team that they support, depending on who's winning, right? Do you understand that? So you, you, you're a glory supporter. Uh, I think I've, hopefully you understand that. So let's just say uh, you're an Eagles supporter, and the Eagles start losing next year, and then the Dockers start winning every game. That's a bad example. Um, 
it's not going to happen. Let's, let's say you're a South African and, and, and so you support them in the cricket, but now you live here um, and then the Aussies start winning and you go, oh, yeah, my boys, I think I'll support the Aussies now. And then you switch back if the South Africans start winning. Or, you know, that, that's, a, that's a glory supporter. Um, so I don't know, maybe you've met someone like that, they just support whoever's winning because it kind of suits. What Jesus is kind of saying is you can't actually be a glory supporter with me. There's really kind of two teams. There's yours and there's mine. There's two ways of living that you can go with and you can, you can only choose one. You can't kind of boo me now and then sort of start cheering for me when it, when it suits at a later time. So here's where I, I want to go a little bit deep. The big lie about eternity, we've, um, by chance I think, or maybe by the Spirit, we've already talked a little bit about eternity in comparison to this life now. That was unplanned. But the big lie about eternity and, and, and heaven and hell and the afterlife is, is in this sentiment that, that I think is so prominent in our culture, and it sounds like really reasonable thinking, this sentiment that says God wouldn't send good, innocent people to hell, to this eternity that's without him, that's in darkness, that's, that's not good, because, and here's the, here's the main thing, because that's unloving, because that's unfair for God to do that. Now, as I said, this, this sounds entirely reasonable, entirely sound thinking. But the message of Jesus is actually this. God will not force someone into the kingdom of heaven if they don't want it, because that's unloving and that's unfair. To, to make you join his team, to make you worship him. That is not who Jesus is. And so you might ask the question, okay, that's fine, but who wouldn't want to be in heaven? Who wouldn't want to be in this, this place and this reality for all of eternity with God forever in peace and joy and prosperity and everything good and nothing bad? Who wouldn't want that, But actually, the kingdom of God, by definition, the kingdom of heaven, by definition, is not that everything's good, although that is true in terms of what it, we would experience, but the definition of what it is, is that Jesus is Lord of all. So now let me ask you this. Who wouldn't want to be in God's kingdom for all eternity? The answer is anyone who doesn't want Jesus to be their king. Anyone who doesn't want Jesus to be their ruler, their ultimate authority, their everything. And let me ask you, is, is that everyone? Does everyone on this earth who you have met through your whole life here want to submit their whole life completely and fully to Jesus for all of eternity? No. So will Jesus make them worship him? No, that would be unloving to say, you must bow down or else. He will not make them. Here's what I'm saying in case it's not clear, and I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that we, we catch this this morning. That is heaven. Jesus as Lord. That is heaven. That's the kingdom of God. Jesus exalted and every fiber of our being submitted to him, worshipping him, honouring him and his ways. That is the kingdom of God. It is not a place. 
It's a way, it's a rule, it's a kingship, and it will be fully and finally established on this earth. That is what the kingdom is. And so we have, as, as if you're a follower of Jesus, we have this deep responsibility of incredible importance and significance to, to tell people and to show people that heaven comes, joy comes, peace comes when you lay down your own life and let Jesus be king. And some won't really hear it, and so we can only keep sharing until they do hear it and keep showing until they do see it and pray they will hear it eventually. Some will hear it and reject it. No thanks. I would, I would like to, to keep my life under my own control. And, and, and I believe, I believe that God will honour that. Hear me here. God will not force someone to go, no, you need to, you need to obey me. He will honour the desire of those who want to live with themselves as their Lord. He will not force them into his presence for all eternity. He will, do, he will only do everything in his power through us, his children, to reveal himself to them. Now, to reveal his nature, his character, his love. But in the end, it's their choice. And in the end, it's our choice. And, and I want to say that if you're still making the choice, and, and, and if you're, you're, you're not sure about this yet, or maybe you are, but you, there's somebody you know who hasn't made this choice yet, I'm hoping that you'll hear me out for the rest of this message as to, as to why this is the best choice. But just before we get there, uh, there is an option to just wait. Now, I'm not advocating for this option, but let me, let, me, let me say what I think is the option some take. To live your life, to have fun, to do what you want, and then when you die, you'll stand before God, whoever turn, God turns out to be, and he'll say, you want me to, do you want to be with me, which will be good, or do you, want to, do you want to do your own thing and not let me be your Lord, which won't be so good? And now let's just assume we'll have that choice when we stand before God at the end of our life here on earth. Here's my question to you. Why do you suppose that you'll choose differently to what you chose in this life on earth? Does that make sense? Like if I went through my life deciding, you know what, my way is more fun. This is really good. I like it when I'm in charge of myself. Then when I stand before God, I'm likely to say the exact same thing. Thanks for the offer, but I like my way. I don't see why I would change my mind in that moment. Jesus came to say this, that ultimately abundant life comes from saying to the one who created you, my life is completely in your hands. And as someone whose tendency as a human being with free will is to live for self and to live as my own master, I'm thankful that we graciously are given 60 or 70 or 80 or maybe 90 years to have our eyes open to God and to realize that the better choice is to place our hands in his, our life in his hands. To realize that only one choice will lead to life, to real life. And it's a choice to let Jesus be our leader, to be our everything, to be our leader, to be our king. And so my prayer is that as followers of Jesus, we would, we would become so sure of the character and the nature of God revealed to us in Jesus that we would confidently present him to others as the one who is trustworthy, 
the one we can give our lives to completely. Let me say that again. My prayer is that as followers of Jesus, we would become so sure of the character and the nature of God, who he is revealed to us in Jesus, that we would confidently present him to others as the one we can give our lives to because he's trustworthy. So now let's talk about that. Is he trustworthy? Okay, you still with me? I'm hoping that what I've done is given a, 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 a case, made a case for the vision for our lives being only Jesus, to make him the center, to let him lead, be our Lord. And this involves giving our lives, our desires, our hearts, our plans, giving everything completely to him. But how do we know, really know, that he's actually trustworthy for us to do that? Because we need to know that if we're going to be completely submitted to him. If he's not trustworthy, it's not wise. How do we know he's trustworthy? If he is trustworthy, it's amazing news. It's, it's, it's incredible. How do we know that he's the one we can choose to give our lives completely to? Here's how we know. He did it for us first. We can give our lives to Jesus completely, 100%, because he gave up his life first. And if he didn't, we don't know that his character is such that we can completely trust him. But he did. That's why he's the only one we can say our lives are submitted to. He's demonstrated to us that he was willing to do the same. Perfect obedience to God for the sake of others, suffering even to death. Now, just look at the end of the story of the transfiguration. These disciples are just beginning this journey where they're like, what is this guy about? What is going on here? And he asked them this question in the midst of the conversation about Elijah and Moses and what's going on. He says, why do the scriptures say that the Son of Man must suffer greatly and be treated with utter contempt. Now remember where we're heading here. We're, we're, we're going to discover toward, over the, the course of the rest of this year as a church, as we walk through Mark, we're going to discover how will Jesus become king and what we'll see that he becomes king, not by, by God putting him in charge and saying, you're in charge now, others need to obey you. It's not by him proving himself to be this powerful overcomer where he, he just gets rid of the Romans who are oppressing God's people. It's, it's not that way. The way he becomes king and Lord is in complete obedience to God, completely for the sake of others, laying his life down, demonstrating what it looks like to lay his life down every single day, submitted to the Father. He says things like, I only see, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I see the Father saying. Into, uh, not my will, but yours be done, Father. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And ultimately he dies on a Roman execution stake because he completely was obedient to his heavenly Father. And all of it was for you and I. Every single moment of it, he's completely giving his life up. It was in obedience to God, but for you and I. And Jesus is starting the process with his disciples and he's beginning and continuing the process with us too to help us understand, this is how I will be exalted. This is how I will become king. I lay my life down. Here's what that does for us. It gives us every reason in the world to trust Jesus with our whole lives. Sorry. To trust Jesus with our whole lives. Just checking you're awake. He's not a king who will neglect me 
and, and, and forget my needs and just kind of use me as one of his subjects. He gave his life for me so I could be treated and you could be treated like royalty when he was in the mud. That's the, kind of, that's the only kind of king. That's the only kind of Lord that I could genuinely lay my life down in service of without any concern that I'll regret it. But that is who Jesus is. I was listening to the radio the other day and um, I drive home from, from Mandra uh, and, our, um, and a song came on. It's been at the top of the charts recently. No doubt you've heard it. Called Someone You Love by Lewis Capaldi. Uh, it's a song about the experience, among other things, I'm sure, about the experience of losing a loved one. And um, just hands up if you've heard it. I'm going to jog your memory in a second. Um, but I just want, I want to play the chorus for you, and the words are going to be on the screen, and, and then share something that I felt the Lord say. I'm, I'm going to try and let you hear it through the microphone here. So why do I play that? I, I heard this and, and, and was listening closely to these words about losing someone and, and the, that experience. And, and, and I, I felt God prompt me and say, this is the way that so many of my children still think about their relationship with me. Whether consciously or subconsciously, so often we think if I really give my whole heart, my whole self to God, to Jesus, investing completely in this relationship, like he asks me, then at some point, surely, he'll pull the rug. I'll let my guard down. I'll get used to being someone who he loves. But there will come a time when he's not there anymore and I won't be able to rely on you anymore, God, and I'll just be left shattered because that's the experience of every other person on this earth. Whether they leave or die, that's the experience we will face. I let my card down. You pulled the rug out from under me. You left me. And we're going to realize that, yes, yeah, sometimes it's going to feel like that. Imagine, think about the disciples. They're with their teacher, their leader, their best friend, and he's hanging on a Roman execution stake. And imagine, I can imagine them saying, we gave up everything for you. You were supposed to be our saviour. You were supposed to be our, uh, the one who would, who, who, would, who would rescue us. You loved us like no one had ever loved us before. You promised you'd be with us, and now you're gone. When we feel abandoned like that, is that the end of the story? Not with Jesus. They felt it for a while, his disciples. You're gone. We trusted you, but you're gone, but not for long. That's not the end of the story with Jesus. He is trustworthy. He won't rip the rug out from under us. He can be trusted, and there is no risk whatsoever in placing our lives completely in his hands. Will there be suffering and challenges? Absolutely there will, but he will never leave us 
high and dry. And in fact, the only reasonable response and the only acceptable response is to do exactly what we've been talking about, to give him my whole life, to, for you to give him your whole life, knowing that a following his footsteps will mean dying to self. It will mean suffering. It will mean not understanding the big picture that God has when I'm going through the valley because he didn't say, follow me when it's convenient and feels nice. He said, follow me, full stop. That he can be trusted. And I believe he's the only vision for us to live for. So I want to take a moment as we finish this morning for us to, to reflect on a few things. Just to just reflect on a few areas of our, our lives. And actually, if you could put the slide up, uh, Doug, that'd be great. To think about a few, just a few of these areas, one or two of them at max. What would it look like? What would it really look like? And what would change if Jesus was really in charge in, in some of these areas? If he was really king in, in my family, in my, my, my finances, in my work, in my, my, my trust, my, my future whatever it is for you that's most prominent. If it was really king in this, what would it look like? So if it's maybe in, in, in your family, that could be your spouse, that could be your kids, your mum or dad, whatever few relationships are most uh, important to you. What if Jesus was Lord truly in this area? But I want to encourage you to not think at first of the fruit of Jesus being present in our lives. Does that make sense? So not think about, okay, so if Jesus was really Lord in my family, what would that look like? Not to go straight to, oh, yeah, it'd be everybody would love each other and nobody would fight and it would be awesome and it would just be all awesome. That, that is the result of having Jesus in charge. That is the result of heaven on earth. But what I want to encourage you first to think about is what would it take to make Jesus Lord in this area? To, to choose one or two of the things on the list and not, not the easy thing, not, the, not the, the one that you know Jesus is in charge of already, but what you know he isn't in charge of already. And consider what would it take to lay down my own rule, my own lordship, my own control of this area or two areas. What would it take? What would stop me from making that happen? Do I need help to make that happen? What practically would it look like to lay my life down in this area and let Jesus take control? I want to take two or three minutes to do that, just in silence. Pick one or two of those areas. Think, what would it take to make to let Jesus be Lord? And then we'll do something after that. So, two minutes.
If you're not already, just close your eyes for a minute. Now that you've done that, now that you've considered, what would it look like for a few of these areas or one of these areas to, to let Jesus be, be Lord, to, to give Jesus the reins? Now I want you to ask for God to show you what blessing and what fruit would really come about if you did this. Because I don't want to leave us here going, oh, this is really tough. I want to leave us to leave here this morning going, if we really gave Jesus control, what would it, what, what would it bring? What transformation, what healing would it bring about in my family or my work or my friendships or my life? Let God show you for a minute the abundant life you'll experience on the other side of giving him control. Let's do that for a minute and then we'll pray. Father God, I believe that the greatest battle that is going on between our flesh and our spirit is who to let lead our life. Lord, in front of us every day, our decisions, whether it be in relation to our family, our work, our friendships, our own future, the things that we struggle with, the things that weigh us down, Lord, it's so easy to just to, to take the reins and say, I will lead myself forward into a better path, into a better future. And Jesus, we know that the scriptures reveal to us that the kingdom of God on earth, the heaven, the, the, the beautiful reality that we desire, that is an inbuilt longing for us, comes when we place you at the center, comes when we make you Lord of all, of every single area of our lives, giving our lives up completely into your hands. Father, I want to pray for those in the room this morning for whom there's, there's just an, an area of their life that has come to mind, whether it be family, whether it be marriage, whether it be work, whether it be finances, and they're struggling to know how to make you Lord or maybe struggling to do that even though they know how. Father, I pray that you would show them, that you'd show us the reality of the kingdom of God present in that area of their life, which comes about by making Jesus Lord. Father, I pray for those in the room right now who have friends who do not recognize Jesus as Lord and are trying to create a heaven for themselves. Father, I pray that you would give those in this room who have those friends or family, the words to say, to testify to the faith that they have that has been given to them by the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would give them the words to say, that you would give them 
the ability to, to live as witnesses of you and, your, and the goodness that you bring to our lives when we submit our lives to you, that those friends of theirs, that family member of theirs, would see their good works, would see the life of Jesus in them, and would be drawn to the character and nature of God as revealed in Jesus. And Father, I pray for those in the room, this room right now, all those watching or listening uh, to this message later. Lord, that where there is a hesitation to completely lay their lives down before Jesus as Lord and Saviour, that, Lord, they would have a revelation right now of your goodness, of your grace, of your mercy, of your love, as revealed in the person of Jesus, who gave his life up for them to wash away their sins, to make them a brand new person, that all they would be required to do is to trust in you, Jesus. Father, I pray that that revelation of who you are would come to them in your timing, graciously, gently, that they would know your forgiveness, that they would know your love and would place their trust 100% in you. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you are transforming us each and every day as we lay our lives at your feet. Thank you, Jesus, that you are worthy, you are trustworthy, you are faithful to us. And I pray, Lord, that as we leave this place this morning, we would leave convinced that you are worthy to be Lord of all. pray in your name. Amen. Music team's going to come and 